Before I get into this episode, I have to tell you about Making Marketing. It's a weekly conversation with the people who are leading and innovating the world of marketing, be it the relevance of agencies, changing roles of the CMO, or the new way to apply data insights. Some of our recent guests include Alicia Tillman of SAP, Bob Greenberg of RGA, and Vimla Blackgupta of Equinox. Tune in on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sangul. We recently hosted the Digiday Brand Summit in Palm Springs, California. And in this session, Julie Hansen of Babel talks about how to translate your brand into different markets. Listen in. Um, how many people know what Babel is? Okay. We got work to do. All right. Tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about the company, and then we'll be talking about all the different things you've done and going forward, what's going to happen. So let's start with the company. Great. So Babel is the uh, number one la grossing language learning app in the world, actually. Um, it's an 11-year-old company based in Berlin, Germany. It could only be based in Berlin, Germany, for reasons I can explain in a minute. <laughs> um, and it's a, a so it's a, 11-year-old, that's a mid-range, sort of mid-sized startup, but in the U.S. it's still a baby startup. This is really our third year of U.S. operations. Um, we have uh, close to 2 million paying subscribers. And in Germany, for example, or in most of Europe, it's a household name. We have about 90% aided brand recognition in Germany, for example. When I get in the taxi and say in my very broken German, which I'm working on, uh, to take me to the Babel headquarters, they totally know Babel. Um, in the US, of course, we face <clears throat> a very well-known uh, competitor that sold big yellow boxes for many years. Um, you know, Rosetta Stone still has an 80 percent mm -hmm. uh, aided brand awareness. So we have a long way to go in be, becoming that famous. Mm -hmm. We actually, um, the reason that Babel uh, has to be in Berlin, Germany, is that our uh, approach to teaching languages, I think I failed to say that, it's a language learning app. <laughs> we teach 14 languages. Um, and our approach is, uh, combines the notion of your starting language with your target language. So in other words, we know if you're an English speaker and you're wanting to learn German, that you have some basis there because English is a Germanic language. But if you're trying to learn Italian, for example, we know that we have to teach you certain things like gendered nouns or what have you. So um, we therefore have hundreds of linguists and language teachers, you know, the Danish expert who can speak Swedish and Norwegian, etc. And you're not going to find that so much in New York or Palm Springs. So we're Berlin based. Um, and the reason we exist, we have a New York office is that the company, while wildly successful in Europe, failed horribly in the US um, for the first basically seven years mm -hmm. until we created a US team. And then you got there. And then I got there. And then everything's yes. going to change. How do you market something like Babel, especially um, in the US, where, again, you've, you're, you're a challenger brand. You've got this big, hulking competitor, very well known outside. What is kind of the branding around Babel that you've developed over the last few years? Yeah, we have actually two competitors in a way, um, the very well-known Rosetta Stone, and then for, based on marketing, you know, for, there was a decade in which they spent about 50 million bucks a year. So when you spend half a billion dollars on marketing, you, you make some awareness. Um, and then we have a competitor with a fabulous price point, uh, free. So Duolingo is therefore quite well known uh, because free is good. 
in many regards, although um, what our users have found is that free doesn't necessarily teach you a language. So we started um, with the idea that in Europe, our company's motto, and this is sort of a very much a mission-driven company, is everyone learning languages. And we firmly believe that everyone can and should. The thing is that in the US, I don't mean to undermine that, that mission, but it's really not an everyone thing. So we had to start by figuring out who is the right audience. Um, I remember I interviewed with the co-founder and I said, so who's the audience for your product? And he said, everyone. Really? Everyone who knows, who speaks. Everyone. Um, and your average age is 40. And I thought, I remember thinking, you didn't raise everyone money. <laughs> $33 million is not everyone money. So it turns out that in the US, our market's not everyone. And it's not 40 years old. It's not the average. It is the average, actually. But that's because we're reaching millennials and boomers, the people who have kind of the, are in the life stages where they want to learn a language and they have time. So that was job one, is to come in and understand that the team needed to be way more targeted in their approach and that when they said our average age is 40, that that was just like classic, you know, being misled by the numbers. You had to dig deeper and understand that 40-year-olds 40 40 year are almost irrelevant to the product. We need the 60-year-olds and the 20-year-olds. Right. Did you um, do, I mean, did you do kind of a lot of focus groups? Did you do a lot of market research? Because a lot of the conversation the last couple of days has been around just the starting point of the insights and so much of the issue is just bad data, just sort of wrong data, not clean data, and very, and for a lot of people, I think the challenge is making sure you're starting from a place that is correct, because that's informing so much of what comes later. How did you kind of get to that place? Yeah, for sure. We looked at a lot of data. Um, it is a very data-driven company. This is part of our German heritage. This is a good thing. Um, so we looked at who's actually buying the product, mm -hmm. um, who's coming to our website, um, those are important things. And then we did um, not so much focus groups, but a co-creation session to try to um, refine the marketing messaging. And those were, I wasn't, that was before my time. Um, they're very long and painful. I mean, it's literally days of work, but the output was excellent from those. Really insightful and excellent. So I would say that would be an interesting technique to consider, especially if you can invest the time. Yeah. Um, and it's not cheap. Um, you basically had a dozen people in a room and you worked with them for two, three hours to create, to get responses to different messaging, but really talking through like the motivations and what have you. Those were, that was excellent work. Mm -hmm. um, so we looked at a lot of data, basically of who was responding to our ads, who converted the best, what did they say about their motivations. Um, and you were just asking people this. We actually asked during the sign-up process, uh, why are you studying, how old are you? Okay. And one other question, which is arguably overkill, and I think we need to refine our funnel a bit, but we do, it is valuable to have that data. Yeah. Um, how do you think of your marketing? Who does it? And especially, because again, you've got all these different markets, um, and you've got the US, which I think demands a different type of marketing, because again, you are newer here and smaller here. Um, and then balancing that with what you're doing internationally. How do you kind of think of where exactly and what your strategy is going to be across those two? Well, the great thing af about arriving after seven years of abject failure was that the company really embraced the idea that the US needed a longer leash, do its own thing. So we were given a lot of latitude. Um, there's, a, there's a very sophisticated marketing organization in Berlin, but in New York, really all we do is marketing um, and we're very channel driven. So it's a direct to consumer company. 
Um, we're not doing a lot of brand marketing. We're not on the you know Nasdaq billboard in New York, although that would be fun. Um, You're but, not doing subway ads. <laughs> All DTC companies have to do subway ads. It's a thought, actually. It's we've, a law. Yeah, we've never gone deep in a market, and we have thought about that. Um, I do love those shuttle train wraps, you know. Yeah. I think how cool that would be. And you know, you can entertain yourself pretty well. Actually, Babel on the subway is a really good call because you can use it in offline mode. But I digress. <laughs> so, uh, channel marketers, you know, we have a SEM manager. Uh, some offline folks who do TV and radio. And by the way, we're, one of our expertise is creating uh, profitable direct-to-consumer offline marketing, which is like the thing that everyone wants to do now in the direct-to-consumer. We started there, for better or for worse, if only because that's how we grew in Germany. And explain that a little bit. What do you mean? I mean, the, so when I started, I was shocked to find that we were profitably buying TV. And um, the methodology we use to combine like our T, so we use this thing called TV squared, and it combines our TV um, airings, our clearances, that data, with our website data and our sales data, and it crunches it all into some giant algorithm and tells us like, this ad on CNN, that drove these many sales. As like a digital person, I was so stunned that that was necessary. <laughs> like, that's how you have to monitor TV, but <laughs> we do, and it works. Like, we can actually know if we test a network within a week if it worked or not. What have you found works? You mentioned kind of you know you're, you're organized by channel. What have you found works for you specifically in the U.S. best? It very much depends on which of those audiences we're trying to reach. Okay. So we've had great success reaching the baby boomers in particular on TV, mm -hmm. on radio, on Facebook, on content marketing. Okay. So you know, who goes to time.com? It's probably not a millennial. Um, it's someone who grew up knowing Time magazine. Yeah. Um, so that's been great for that channel. And then by contrast, you know, the, the millennial audience, it's, we're really focusing on social, podcasts, every other form of digital that isn't social, which yeah. there's not many. Anywhere surprising that you, you know, either advertise or any surprising places you partner with that just people wouldn't think, okay, this might be a place for me to, me to dabble in? Podcasts have been the most interesting, and maybe that's not that shocking, but the most intriguing one. The, Conversion rates, the response rates when we pick the right podcast. I mean, this is a stock picker's yeah. you know, job. It's amazing how bespoke and custom it is. But when we get it right and the host gets it right, it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. The conversion rates are like 20%. Like, what legal business has a 20% <laughs> conversion rate? Um, but it's so tough to scale it, and it's, we don't quite have the economics working there yet. Is there, does it feel like the podcast space, especially, I'm interested in because it's funny, so you, you know that the podcast space is growing like crazy when there's like PR firms only devoted to podcasts and it's sort yeah. of, I've been seeing all of them come up. I mean, is there a danger of it becoming overcrowded? Because I do think that a lot of people are suddenly recognized podcasts. That's already work. overcrowded. Yeah, you've got to book those things months out in certain cases. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. And the rates Yeah. expensive. Yeah, okay. and it's it's so charming actually. Like a lot of it is still manually inserted, so you know the host does a great read, and that ho that read sits on that podcast for eternity. Like that, I mean, I'm old enough. I, I hesitate to admit this. I'm old enough to remember when we would 
hard code banner ads at the top of our website. <laughs> it kind of feels like that. Right, that's how that's how we do our podcast ads. Just sit there. I sit there in a room reading things. Yeah. Um, tell the us, other yeah. surprise, and I don't even know if I should share this because I don't know if I want to ruin the party. But Quora has been incredible for us. How many people use Quora? I'm like obsessed with Quora. We were just talking about it. Yeah, and how many people don't think you use Quora, but then when you think about it. Every month, you do a search query for something, and you find a Quora link, and you click on it. I know. Because their SEO is incredible. And also, the algorithm that they have for those emails they send you, like at 10 o'clock at night, and you might be interested in this question. You always are. <laughs> I mean, they have 300 and, million monthly average monthly And you have to users. sign in to see it. Yeah. Which is it. So what are, you, what are you doing with Quora? They have st like super simple text ads. OK. Um, and because. The audience is so large, and in our case, the audience is just a little bit serious. Like they've managed to cultivate a platform where the questions and answers are pretty sincere and mm -hmm. often quite expert. Yeah. And there's a surprising amount of language learning interest. And there's probably a surprising amount of other serious interests for those of you marketing that type of nerdy product. Um, <laughs> and the response is incredible. What about Reddit. There's like a Reddit resurgence. I feel, yeah. or at least they're trying for there to be a Reddit resurgence. Reddit is incredible. I mean, we're, I think we just have to like screw up our courage to try Reddit as an ad platform. Still you know. sort of some brand safety type things that you worry about? Yeah, or? and like just the, the risk of getting it wrong and annoying the community and sort of being mocked for life. Um, you know, my ego is not that frail, but the, <laughs> we don't want to incur the brand damage. So, so yes, I think we'll get there on Reddit, but we need to be, we, we feel it. Like we're not ready yet. So you come, obviously, from a publishing background. And, and I know content is a big part of what you do at what, how Babbel kind of thinks of its marketing. Talk to us a little bit about kind of your content marketing strategy um, and how that's evolved over time. Yeah, it's huge, actually. Um, in, quaintly enough, in Germany, when we started our Babbel magazine, which would also be known as a blog, about four or five years ago, this was like radical and innovative. And it's kind of old news here. Um, and it turned out that creating content to inspire and inform people about how to learn a language was very powerful. So I like to describe our magazine as going from the New Yorker to BuzzFeed in terms of its scope, content on culture, language, food, travel. Um, we go deep on these topics. And then we also have really practical stuff like the five best ways to learn a language, how to develop a habit, interviews <coughs> with you know Gretchen Rubin on habit formation, like all that kind of habit, language learning, these sort of evergreen topics. Um, and we get uh, 10 to 15 million monthly average, monthly uniques okay. visiting the website, some paid, some organic. How, do you drive them? Is there kind of a lower funnel? OK, let's see if these people convert. And what are you driving them towards? For sure. I mean, the content's all very serious. And you know it's from Babbel. Um, but we don't make you log in to read it or anything. It's just at the bottom of the article, we have some clever call to action, like, you know, keep, keep studying and, and... And it works? Yeah, totally works. It's actually our number one, our largest source of leads, uh, not the highest conversion rate, but um, still phenomenally effective. And we do, we see nice organic growth there, and then we also do use the content discovery networks, the mm -hmm. Outbrains, the Taboola. And do you have a newsroom? Do you have yeah. the... Are you hiring reporters? Yeah. No, when I started, we had one fellow who did that and wrote copy. And we now have uh, an executive producer. And she has a team of three full-time writers, two full-time video people. 
and one brand new kind of social what have you editor who actually runs our Quora presence mm -hmm. because we're very active on Quora, like answering questions. Um, there's a lot of language discussion as noted yesterday's post was which one is better than New York versus the Southern accent. So we go from the fun to yeah. the very serious, you know, why should I learn Dutch? Um, and this is very, like, it, I mean, the one you just mentioned, this is very American. This is very US focused. Totally, yep. But that means, I mean, the content sort of demands seem to me to be pretty, uh, pretty high because you're looking at all of these different people and all these different markets and then you're looking at what language they're learning and so what they might be interested in. Um, how do you, I think for a lot of people the difficulty in making great content is that it's really hard and again coming from publishing you know it's really difficult to make great stuff. Has there ever, has it felt like sort of a, a, a little bit of pressure and kind of balancing okay I have to put all this money and resources and hire all these people and I have to make sure this is really worth it or is there something else I should be doing? I mean, is there a little bit of a pressure there? That's a good question. I, I feel, for me, in a way, this is one of the easiest parts of the business. And I don't know if that's just because it feels comfortable or if it really is such a good fit for our business. You know, this is a, you don't wake up on a Tuesday and say, oh, you know what, I'm gonna learn a language today. Like, it's something you've been thinking about, you aspire to, we need to push you over the, the, the hump there and get you, you know, motivate you, inspire you different from Europe, where you need to learn a language. Okay. We're telling you how to do it over there. Okay. Here, we're giving you the inspiration you need. So that, there's so much to say about language. You know, I feel like our, our team has kind of a rolling um, brainstorming process, and they meet weekly, and this document is always full of good ideas. Mm -hmm. And then when they see something that works, like you know the 10 phrases you need when you travel to fill in the blank, then we do that for every country, okay. because we find SEO interest in that. Right. Like We find value to the readers in yeah. that stuff, and so we make more of it. So to me, in a way, and then the audience keeps growing, mm -hmm. and then partnerships with, like again, Quora drives traffic to the audience, and then we keep finding other ways to use the content, like we've just worked with Quizlet, to make a, an AP, AP Spanish test vocabulary guide is part, part of their new premium content product that they recently launched. Okay. And that's a little bit getting into that education space yeah. rather than like leisure la language learning. A, a little, yes, for sure. And that is very much about understanding the US market, every high school kid. Um, any of you have kids in high school? Like, so you understand Quizlet is the bomb. Like they love. When I told my 14-year-old daughter that I was talking to Quizlet, I was going to their office, I was like, cool again. <laughs> Maybe for 12 hours. Um, so, you know, we want every high school kid when they graduate to know Babbel. Mm -hmm. If you said, you know, what, what language learning app would there be? <coughs> Babbel. So that's what the point of that product is. So, and that's, again, produced by the content team. So, I, I don't know. If you have material, a brand, a product, a category where there's a lot to say, I feel like content marketing, and there's a lot of interest in it, content marketing is very sort of easy in a way. Mm. Would you sell ads within your content? Would you try to get some revenue out of it? No, because um, we feel very strongly that ads do not belong in a learning product. Okay. And I think this, that would be a little too close to home. A little home. too much. Besides, I'm not really missing the ad world right now. <laughs> Um, just last question before we open up uh, to questions from the audience. But uh, one of the big things we've talked about a little bit is sort of just in-housing, who does your who does your advertising, who does your marketing, who does your strategy. And I think that there is sort of this thirst, or at least this 
this need to say, okay, we need to get back control. We need to do some of this ourselves, at least while I'm talking to people in the room. Um, but you've, you've kind of a hybrid approach, but you're doing quite a lot of it yourself, right? For How sure. does it kind of walk us through who's actually yeah. doing your work for you? We drive the strategy ourselves, the research, the strategy, um, and we use agencies where, where it's needed. So for TV buying, we work through an agency. Sure. You, you kind of have to. Uh, a little bit of radio when we, when we need to. We use a tool for doing SEM buying, but we do that in-house. Mm -hmm. um, and the rest we do in-house. We, we, partly that we have a horrible um, NIH problem at our company, not invented here. So we, we tend to feel that control issue, but also just that um, uh, it's, it's a kind of a niche activity language learning. So by the time you onboard a big agency and teach them yeah. what they need to know about language learning, you just better off developing that expertise internally. We're also so disciplined and metrics driven, that is really hard to outsource. Okay. Um, so that's much easier to do in the team setting where that we can knows share the company. tips. Totally, mm -hmm. yep. And so okay. what works in one channel might work in another channel, and those experts work together to share the knowledge. So we use um, a consultant to help us, we're trying to go into the Hispanic market now, so we have a consultant for that, TV agency, little bits and bobs. Oh, we have a digital agency we work with, but mostly because they produce sponsor content for us. Okay. And then they're, and they have an expert like multivariate testing engine that they mm. use to, to buy media very expertly, very effectively, and drive to their sponsor content. The rest is all the team. All you. Okay. Time for about one question. Andy has this one up here. Uh, hi. Um, how do you handle it in the sense that like people are used to a very specific brand in the space that you're in. So how are you educating people about a new way to do something people have been doing for so long in this kind of old heritage brands way? Yep. We have a little bit of luck there because uh, the heritage brand is very, um, if we played word association and I said Rosetta Stone, you would say CD-ROM. <laughs> So they, they're not viewed as being expert in the app market, even though they now have an app for years. So we really lean into the app, because of course, like no one even wants a desktop anymore. They want an app in this market. So we lean into that. Um, we also do have efficacy studies that we use to promote the fact that like ours is more effective, but I think that's sort of table stakes. Um, it happens to be true. Um, so, and then also in terms of the marketing, like we create, we went, we made a lot of investment, like we talked about, in content to create a brand in all the social channels that were relevant here. And I think in many ways we um, have made a stronger connection to our consumers through that brand and through these, this social presence. Great. Awesome. Very quick. Um, I was wondering if it's challenging running uh, different I was wondering uh, if how challenging it was um, marketing into distinct cultures, and if you if you have to tailor your brand voice to those cultures, and, and what sort of challenges you're running into, especially doing all that internally. For sure, I mean, in a way, we 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 ignore a lot of the marketing out of headquarters. <clears throat> Excuse me. We use the sort of Wyden Kennedy brand book and the you know the whole brand look, the style, of course, but. Um, <laughs> the first marketing slogan for the company 10 years ago was, you can learn a language online. 
and I say that to an American, the universal response is, so what? <laughs> they have now this fantastic commercial that Wyden and Kennedy has shot. It's like high production value. They, have, they created this alien. It has a costume. And the little alien goes abroad, and he can't speak, and he's very sad, and he's lonely. And then the alien learns to speak and is happy with Babel. And they showed me the work. Like, what do you think? Can you use it in the US? Like, oh, no. Why not? Julie, why not? Well, because if you're American and you go abroad and they don't speak English, they're the alien. <laughs> so I'm not defending that. I'm just saying. So, so absolutely, we, have to, we had to rethink all the messaging. It's not about you can learn a language online because who cares in America? It's about you can do it and you want to do it and why you would do it. Totally. Got it. Do the alien walk again. No, I'm joking. That's totally fine. <laughs> Julie Hansen, thank you so much. This was thank great. You. Thank you all for listening. I'm Aditi Sangu. Did you like the show? Then rate us and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you can write to me or tweet at me. I'm at Aditi Sangu or Aditi at Digiday.com. I'll be back soon with another episode.